Yeah, I'm getting a thumbs up from his mom, who would probably care more than the rest of us. So, I mean, we care, but glad that he's okay. Here he is right now. Eli, you, you are the man. Thanks so much for dealing with that, bro. We're glad you're okay, man. I assume you're okay. Are you okay? Okay, good. Little interruptions like that actually can have a positive effect because um, while we're very glad that Eli's okay, and that's kind of first-level stuff, but when these things happen, they remind us that this isn't a show. It's not just a program. It's not just a concert, and we're not just doing stuff uh, to get great music played or something like that. We're worshiping Jesus together, and I love moments like this that kind of interrupt the kind of one thing to the next and remind us we're here to engage with God, and when, uh, when a drum cage crashes on somebody, we're certainly glad that he's okay, but it also reminds us um, why we're really here. We're not just here to listen to great music. We're here to engage with our God who has redeemed us and who's worthy of praise. So thanks, Eli, for dealing with that. And thanks to everybody else for, um, for worshiping together. Uh, God's agenda was not thwarted by something falling down, right? Well, let me begin here with a recognition that we live in a world that very often feels dreary and dark and even hopeless. I know this from my own personal experiences in life, my own personal experiences with what I would call depression. And I say that with a bit of hesitation because I know that if 10 people talk about depression, they might mean 10 different things and there might be 10 different deeper causes and there might be 10 different pathways forward. I recognize that, but it, just through my own experiences of depression of different kinds in my own life, I know that there are times when, when life feels bleak. When things feel kind of hopeless, when we start to feel like, what's the point? When no matter what happens, we just kind of still feel this weight or this cloud. When it can become harder to just navigate forward in ordinary things. When hanging out with your friends can lead your friends to say, are you okay because you aren't acting normal? When things that normally bring us joy just don't bring us the joy that they normally do. I mean, I just know from my own experience that we can sometimes feel like this world is dreary, dark, or even hopeless. I I know what that's like at a personal level. And and right now, it's the middle of January in the northern Midwest, and I've been paying attention to people long enough as a pastor to realize that in the middle of January in the northern Midwest, most of us kind of feel at least a little bit bleak. Most of us kind of feel like there's something of the gray skies that is kind of reflected somewhere inside of us, right? I've been pastoring long enough to know that somewhere around January or February, people start to feel like my small group is kind of pointless. Why even bother going, right? I know that here in the northern Midwest, this time of year, life can feel a little extra dreary and dark or even hopeless for a lot of us. 
But as much as we might just kind of personally experience that dreariness, that darkness, that kind of sense of hopelessness for various reasons uh, in our own souls, we live in a world that is full of circumstances that can add to that sense of dreariness, darkness, or even feeling sometimes tempted toward hopelessness. You know, right now on January 22nd, we find ourselves in this unique week that puts some lamentable situations right in front of us, right? Earlier this week, we celebrated Martin Luther King Jr. Day on Monday, right? And so on the one hand, we lament the mistreatment of millions of black men and women and children, which is an issue that is too often minimized, even among church-going folks. And today, on January 22nd, we also remember the 50th anniversary of that landmark decision, Roe versus Wade, here in our country, which has opened the door toward millions of abortions, which has led to millions of unborn children losing their lives and all of the grief that goes along with that for family members and for society as a whole which is an issue that is too often ignored even among church-going folks and these are of course by no means the only issues of injustice in our world But even just these two issues alone remind us that we live in a world that if we're honest about the facts of what's going on here in our own country and around the world, there are reasons to say some things look a little dreary, some things look a little bleak. There is real darkness and real evil. And sometimes we might feel tempted toward a kind of hopelessness inside But here, as we look at Matthew chapter 12, we open the scriptures which are by no means ignorant of or avoiding the darkness and the evil and the brokenness of the world around us. And yet here in Matthew chapter 12, we read these words that, that in the name of Jesus, Gentiles, that is to say, people from every nation, we read in verse 21 that people from every nation can find hope in the name of Jesus. Even in this world with all of its dreariness and darkness, And sin and evil and brokenness. And so here's my prayer for you. Here's my prayer for us today. As we keep our Bibles open to Matthew chapter 12. And we pay attention to this picture of Jesus. And this prophetic word about Christ. As we pay attention to this picture of Christ. And this prophetic word about Christ here in Matthew chapter 12. Here's my prayer. Is that... In a world that often feels dreary, dark, depressing, or even hopeless, even in the middle of January, my prayer for us is that we would be strengthened by the mercy and justice 
of Jesus Christ. Our passage comes to us in two segments. First, a story about the mercy of Christ. And second, a prophetic explanation of the justice of Christ. Both of which shine the light of hope into our hearts today. Part one, we begin by thinking a little bit about the hope of restoring mercy in Jesus Christ. There's this story that picks up right where we left off in Matthew's gospel last week. The story that picks up on the same Sabbath day when Jesus' disciples were hungry. And in their hunger, they ate some grain that they found on the side of the road on that Sabbath day. And the religious leaders called the Pharisees came out from the nearby synagogue in order to accuse and condemn Jesus' disciples. But when his beloved are accused, we saw that Jesus stands in their defense. With three carefully chosen passages of Scripture, he fends off the accusations and the condemning words of these religious leaders, and he calls himself, he declares himself to be the Lord of the true Sabbath rest in verse 8. And now in verse 9, Jesus and his crew of disciples kind of finish their journey to the local synagogue. And a man is there in the local synagogue with an obvious condition in his hand. It's called a withered Hand. I don't know exactly what the medical condition is, but the language of this deformity implies something that is much more than a little inconvenience. When you lack the use of one hand or another, it severely impairs your ability to do even ordinary tasks, right? Even getting a bowl of soup or putting on your shoes can be pretty tricky if you lack the use of one of your hands, right? But beyond the functional challenges of having a deformity of some sort in one hand, this was also an obvious ailment. The text is clear that people who see this man can see right away that there's something different about him. There's a lot that we don't know about this man. Did others look at him as if he were disgusting or unwelcome because of his disability? There's a lot that we don't know about him, but here's what we do know. We know that on this day, on this Sabbath day, the Pharisees, or the religious leaders in his local synagogue, they want to use him as a gimmick in order to score points in their argument with Jesus. There's kind of a bullying spirit that this passage reveals in the religious leaders. Maybe some of you know what it feels like to be overlooked by other people. People keep walking past you without noticing, without paying much attention. 
in such a way that the only thing worse than people walking past you without noticing is if some bully stops in order to draw attention to what's different about you, in order to mock you or use you in some way or another. The Pharisees want to use this man as a prop in their argument with Jesus, which sets up this contrast. On the one hand, there are certain religious leaders who see a man with a pain in his life, a man with something difficult that he is living with, and they just want to use him. And on the other hand, there is Jesus. The religious leaders ask Jesus a question about whether it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. And there were legitimate discussions in their time and place and culture among Jewish people about how much was kind of recognized as legitimate to do for somebody in need on a Sabbath day. But in this case, this isn't an honest question. To borrow the words of that great fellow Admiral Akbar, it's a trap. <laughs> they don't really care about this guy. They don't really want to see him get well. When they see a man with a withered hand, they don't see a person made in God's image, worthy of respect and compassion, worthy of being treated with dignity. They just see a guy that they can use as a prop in their argument. How different is the heart of Jesus Christ toward this one overlooked and hurting man? Matthew 9.36 tells us that, quote, When Jesus saw the crowds of people, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And now there's one overlooked man with a deformed hand. And what is Jesus' response? It's a heart of compassion. A heart of mercy for one person in need. Jesus replies to the Pharisees' question about healing on the Sabbath in verse 11. Which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. And then these important words in verse 12 of how much more value is a man than a sheep. On the one hand, you have the Pharisees who ignore and minimize and demean the value of one man by just using him as a prop in their argument. And on the other hand, you have Jesus whose heart throbs with compassion and mercy Seeing the value of this one overlooked man. And therefore Jesus concludes that it is not only permissible, but positively good to heal on the Sabbath. And he asks the man to stretch out his hand. And as far as the text tells us, Jesus doesn't lift a finger in order to do this healing. There's no physical exertion involved. Interestingly, in the variety of ways that the Gospels describe healings, there's no evidence of this man's own faith or even a request to be healed. 
Jesus simply extends a word of mercy toward him. And the healing has already begun. And yet we read in verse 14, for the first time in Matthew's gospel, about a plan to destroy Jesus. This is a hint of where Jesus' good mercy, where his healing mercy will lead. It will lead him ultimately to the cross where he would willingly die in order that we might live. Where he would willingly experience judgment that we might know mercy forevermore. And what is the effect of Jesus' mercy? The word in verse 13 implies restoration. When Jesus has compassion, when Jesus extends mercy, what's the result of it? Restoration. Restoration is what comes as a result of the mercy of Jesus. And this is exactly what we experience when we come to Jesus as well. Dragging along our weariness, our weakness, the bleakness we feel within, the hopelessness that so many of us have felt in one way or another. As we draw near to Jesus, what do we find in Him? We find compassion, mercy, goodness. And mercy that leads to real restoration. I might pause for just a moment to recognize that for too many people in our world today, coming to church feels more like a meeting with the Pharisees than the mercy of Jesus. For too many people in our world today, coming to church involves being overlooked by other people who have more important things going on. Coming to church involves being treated as if they primarily exist to build somebody else's brand. But it should not be so. And if you've ever felt that way, if coming to church has ever felt like you're just being used by other people, I want to say with a degree of compassion, it should not be so. And I want to tell you as we look at Matthew chapter 12, that however others may have treated you, Jesus sees your true value. And Jesus is full of goodness and compassion and mercy. He sees your true value. His heart beats with compassion for your pain. And not only His words... 
but his very life are given so that you can know the hope of his good mercy that leads toward restoration. But also a word for those of us who are committed members of Jesus' church. Brothers and sisters, let's make it our aim to represent the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ to every last individual as somebody of much more value, to borrow the words of Jesus Christ. And of course, this is really important at youth group, right? Because when in our lives are we more sensitive to being overlooked or used for somebody else's advantage? So important in our youth group years that we remain committed to treating others as people who are of much more value and extending to them an experience of the welcoming, restoring Good mercy of Jesus. But it's not only for teenagers, right? This is valuable and vital for our adult small groups. This is valuable and vital for young adults. This is valuable and vital on Sundays. It's true with people of different income levels. It's true of people with different cultural backgrounds or who grew up in different neighborhoods or places. I would go a step further And say, if the Lord keeps leading us as a congregation toward linking arms with our brothers and sisters here from the Advent congregation. And if we end up adopting into our congregation a larger number of senior citizens. Then we need to prepare our hearts to treat every last one of them as people of much more value to borrow the words of Jesus extending to them not a cold-hearted approach of the Pharisees looking past them or simply asking what can they contribute to my cause but treating people with value and dignity representing the heart of our Lord Jesus who moves near to people with mercy with compassion with goodness, and with a heart that is eager to offer restoration to one overlooked person. Perhaps you're here today feeling overlooked. I hope you hear through these words something of the heart of Jesus Christ. And perhaps this is a challenge for some of us who are committed members to not overlook others, but to move toward them as an expression of the mercy of Christ. That's the first part of our passage. It reminds us of the hope of the restoring mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it's interesting how this passage keeps moving, right? From there, from this story of one man's healing by the restoring mercy of Jesus Christ, the the lens of the camera kind of zooms out, as it were. 
And Matthew, the author of this gospel, led by the Holy Spirit, sets alongside this story of Jesus' restoring mercy for one person. He sets alongside that on purpose a prophetic explanation of the restoring justice of Jesus Christ for all nations. And so we move from the hope of restoring mercy, the restoring mercy of Christ extended to even one overlooked individual. We move on to that, to the hope of the restoring justice of Jesus Christ, which will eventually reach as far as the curse is found. And in this prophetic word, Matthew reaches back 700 years before the life of Jesus and goes to the book of Isaiah, the book of that great prophet Isaiah, which he has quoted from about five times already in the first 11 chapters of Matthew's gospel. And he keeps going back to say, Jesus is exactly who God told us the Messiah would be. And once again, in this one illustration of Jesus' restoring mercy, which spreads out to include His healing power for many others, God's Word tells us this is a picture of the restoring justice of Jesus Christ, which will reach eventually much more broadly. Now, what do we learn here about the restoring justice of Jesus Christ in this prophetic word of explanation from Isaiah? First of all, we learn something about Christ's identity. He's described in verse 18 as uh, the words begin like this. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. If we're reading straight through Matthew's gospel in one sitting, we kind of hear echoes in these words of that moment when Jesus was baptized and the Spirit of God came to rest on Jesus Christ and the heavens were opened and a voice thundered from heaven. Saying, this is my beloved son. With him I am well pleased. We hear an echo of that voice from heaven. Which declared the father's delight in his son. And the spirit's dwelling within him. But we also see that connected now with things that the prophet Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 42 and 43 and other passages in the book of Isaiah. Jesus Christ is the servant of the Lord, with whom the Lord is well pleased. And we learn something not only about his identity as the long-foretold servant of the Lord, We learn something also about his mission. 
What did Christ come to do according to the book of Isaiah? What did Jesus Christ come to do according to Matthew chapter 12 verse 18? I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Justice for the nations. Now this is kind of a surprising part of the good news of Jesus Christ, maybe in part because we don't think of justice the same way that the Bible thinks of justice. I've heard too many pastors over time try to make a good point about God's justice by saying to us things like, you don't want to experience God's justice. And what pastors mean when they say you don't want to experience God's justice is they mean you don't want to experience God's retributive justice, his retribution, his judgment against wrongdoing. And that is absolutely true from beginning to end of Scripture. We don't want to experience the retribution the punishment, if you will, that is rightly dealt out by our just gods. But I don't know if you've noticed. Justice in Matthew chapter 12 is not something that leads Matthew to say you don't want to experience it. It's something that leads Matthew to say this is the hope of all nations. How is it That God's justice is hope. It's because there's more to God's justice than retribution. God's justice, as it's described in Scripture, will sometimes humble humble the proud, as we talked about last week. But you know what else God's justice will do? God's justice will also lift up the humble. Which is good news for Jesus's Humble people. Uh, If you want to see that in Scripture, just because it might be a new idea for some people, one place where it shows up very clearly is in Psalm 76, verses 8 and 9. From the heavens you you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to establish judgment, and then what is the idea that's parallel to God rising to establish judgment? Saving all the humble of the earth. This is why God's justice is not just something where we say to one another as Christians, you don't want that. No, we agree with Scripture. God's justice is our hope. It's our joy. It's what we long for. That one day our Lord in His righteousness and justice will not only humble the proud, but He will also, for all those who are united together with Jesus Christ, He will exalt the humble. And that is our hope. And that's why it's good news for us that Jesus will proclaim justice. He's proclaiming not only his plan to one day hold accountable all of the bad guys who never experienced accountability in our lives. But he promises also restoration. 
renewal. A making of all things new. A rewarding of everything that was overlooked. And of course, Jesus is proclaiming justice. That's his mission. And one day he will come again to establish justice from this time forth and forevermore. For now we live in between the proclamation and the final experience. In a world that is still filled with injustice and darkness. In a world in which we still long for more justice to come about. But the prophet Isaiah... And according to Matthew, the person of Jesus remind us that we can hope in Jesus Christ. That one day, wrongs that have gone unaddressed will be fully and thoroughly addressed. And the humble, who keep looking around this world and saying, why is everything so broken? We'll see his restoring justice and bring about all the good that we have longed for. His identity, the servant of the Lord. His mission to proclaim that justice that is our hope that we long for. And his approach? His approach is perhaps surprising. It's an approach of patient gentleness. You see this in Isaiah's prophecy, as it's recorded here in verses 19 and 20, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. It's a prophetic explanation of the patient gentleness of Jesus. It reminds us on the one hand that we should not confuse his patience with indifference. The fact that he is gentle does not mean he does not care about sin and evil and injustice. He will bring justice to victory. But what is his method? His method is a method of patient gentleness. He's not quarrelsome. He's gentle. These pictures here are precious, aren't they? A bruised reed, a smoldering wick. A reed is something that's not very valuable at all. A stick you might find out in a field. And what do you do with a stick that's kind of broken in half? What's it good for? A stick that's broken in half and dried up, typically it's only good to to use as kindling for fire. Not much more valuable than that. You find a, a stick of a weed in your backyard in the middle of winter in the northern Midwest. What do you do? You rip it out and you throw it in the fireplace to help you start a fire next time. But according to the prophetic explanation of Jesus' heart, someone who is, to the world's eyes, as weak and as broken and as hopeless as a bruised reed, 
He will not just snap it in half and throw it in the fire until he brings justice to victory. He's far more patient, far more gentle than we would expect. Or I love this idea of the faintly burning wick. If you have a candle in your home, you know there's that sweet point when the candle is doing its job. But maybe you've seen a candle wick that is barely burning. It's just got the faintest glow about the end of that wick. It's not really caught on fire. There's no, there's no light. There's no heat. It's not doing what it's supposed to be doing by all appearances. And what does Jesus do with that Vainly burning wick that has so little light, so little heat, not doing by all appearances what it's supposed to be doing. Here's what most of us do when we run into other people who look like they don't have much light and don't have much heat and aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. We go like this. We just want to get this thing over with and be done with it. We're impatient and we're harsh with one another in the church even sometimes. When we see somebody who is barely aglow, by all appearances not doing what they're supposed to be doing, but not so the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to the prophetic explanation of his approach, of his life, of his approach to life in this world, is not to see somebody who's just a faintly burning wick, no light, no heat, not doing what they're supposed to do, and to come along and say, I'm snuffing you out. You know the parable of the weeds that Jesus told? Men sowed seeds in a field, and various things started to grow up, and the servants, representing the way that we are in the church, come along and say, Master, can we chop out all the bad stuff in your field? And what does the master say? Patience. Not till the appointed time. Why? Because if you rip up the weeds too hastily, you might rip up some of the good fruit as well. And as Jesus explains in that parable of the wheat and the weeds, that parable of the sower, so his heart is described here. For those who are like faintly burning wicks, barely glowing, barely any light, not doing everything they're supposed to be doing, his approach is not an impatient, harsh, snuff it out as fast as possible. His approach, rather, is a patient gentleness. And let me tell you something. I just, look, some of us, Right now, if we're honest, in the middle of January, in northern Midwest, like we feel like a fainting, faintly burning wick, right? There's not much fire. And maybe church experiences in the past or expectations of parents or expectations we've heard from other friends or the accusations of the enemy himself will lead us to assume Jesus wants nothing to do with me right now as long as there's barely any fire. 
Not so according to Jesus, according to God's word. In fact, just the opposite. Just the opposite is true of Jesus according to God's word. A faintly burning wick. People with barely any fire. He's not walking around looking for how fast he can snuff you out. A faintly burning wick. He will not quench. His identity. He's the servant of the Lord. His mission to proclaim justice. His approach in this world. Patient gentleness. And his promise, his promise is hope for all nations. Why? Because what he began, he will complete. He will bring justice to victory. You know these words because we read them at Christmas. But may I read to you again Isaiah's expectation for our Christ, who is our Christ not only in the Christmas season, but 12 months a year and every day from the first day of faith until the day when He makes all things new. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall one day be upon His shoulder, and His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government, and of the increase of peace, there will be no end. Let that idea sink in for a second. We live in a world right now where it feels like of the increase of evil, there will be no end. But our Lord came to establish something new. A new kingdom. A kingdom of peace that grows and grows and grows without end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom. To establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And here's what I want to draw our attention to. As we see this story about the restoring mercy of Christ for one overlooked person. And as we see this explanation of the restoring justice of Christ, which brings hope to all nations, so that in His name the Gentiles will hope. As we read this story of Jesus and this explanation of who He is, What is God's Spirit aiming to get done in our hearts and in our lives? It's an invitation to hope. It's an invitation to hope 
that there is life beyond the faintly burning wick status that some of us feel right now. An invitation to hope that draws you close again to the one who says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's an invitation to hope for those of us who look around at the world around us and say there's so much bleak, there's so much dark, there's so much evil, there's so much that it makes me feel hopeless. This is an invitation to hope. Not a hope that any one politician or political party can fix the problems, but a hope that our King Jesus will bring justice to victory. A hope that can empower us to keep on going in love and mercy and acts of justice toward others in the world around us. A kind of hope that can empower us to keep on going even when the world seems bleak and dark and hopeless. There's an invitation. There's an invitation to Come to Jesus and find hope in Him for all of the personal hopelessness. Indeed, there is reason to come to our Lord Jesus Christ and find hope for all of the darkness in the world. Because He will bring justice to victory. And in His name, people from every nation you and me are invited to find hope and to be strengthened by that hope in him today. So no matter how dark it gets out there, no matter how much our own hearts may feel like they reflect the bleakness of the gray skies above, No matter how discouraging the scenario might be in our nation or in the nations of the world around us. Our invitation is to come and find hope in the restoring mercy and the restoring justice of our Lord Jesus Christ.